Good morning, Grace Chapel. Good morning. He is risen. Let's say that again. Christ is risen. And we'll keep, hallelujah, we'll keep proclaiming that until the day he comes again. Listen to these words from Peter. This is Acts 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Let's stand and worship him this morning.
Welcome, Grace Chapel. You guys can be seated. Happy Easter to you all. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's such a wonderful time to celebrate spring and the fact that Jesus Christ has risen. He has risen. I get so excited about that, I want to answer myself, so sound like an echo. Um, I just want to uh, point a few things out to you. This is our bulletin. If you had a chance to grab one, there's a bunch of information in here about Grace Chapel. Um, if you're new to Grace Chapel or if you've come your whole life here, uh, there's a bunch of cool stuff that's going on, so take a look at that. Um, and then I'd like to uh, pray for us as we continue in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to celebrate the fact that you rose from the grave. Lord, that is such a wonderful truth and, and such a special gift to us. Uh, Lord, I ask that this worship service honor you and that we can leave here, Lord, feeling closer to you uh, and understanding a little bit more about how we should live for you. In your name, amen. Fix our 
Cry. 
thank you, Father. We worship your glorious name with such thanksgiving, and we will proclaim it until the day you come again. In your name we pray, amen. Would you please be seated? that came through would welcome could I invite all the children to come forward please at this time All right. Good morning. Oh, that wasn't very good. Good morning. Okay, thank you. Who believes in something they don't see or something that hasn't happened yet? Raise your hand. Okay, I would say 50%. Okay. Uh, what do you need to do in order to do that? What do you need? There's a word that starts with F. Faith. Faith, that is correct. What if I told you, just by example, that the Minnesota Vikings were going to win the next Super Bowl? Who believes me? Who has faith besides me? Okay, that was a silly example. But don't you think it's easier to believe or have faith in something that you actually see or actually you've witnessed, right? Today I'm going to give you two examples, one from the Bible and uh, show you another example of what I mean by this, okay? So when I think about Easter Sunday, I think about what I would do if I walked up to the empty tomb. Have you ever thought of that? Uh, would I believe Jesus rose from the dead? Think about that for a second, all right? The second example, that's the first example, we'll dive into that. Second example is I brought something better than candy, guys. Science. <laughs> no? Oh. Oh, there's a few of us out there. Okay. How many would believe that once I light this awesome big candle, I know, you do, but don't touch it. All right. How many would believe that once I light this candle, I can blow it out without using my mouth or water or covering it up with an invisible fire extinguisher? How many believe that right now? Raise your hand. You guys are very trusting. All right. So as I set up for the experiment, my wonderful assistant, beautiful wife, Christy, is going to read some Bible verses of the first example that I talked about from Mark, okay? Now listen and watch as the experiment unfolds. All right. I'm going to be reading from Mark 16, verse 1 to 14. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So that experiment is called the invisible fire extinguisher. That is actually carbon dioxide that is forming, and it's heavier than air. So it goes down to the bottom, and if you, your mom has a, I think it's called a fat separator, gravy separator, whatever, 
you could do it at home too with baking soda. Okay, so much like the invisible fire extinguisher, we have many chances uh, to have faith and believe in Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus told the disciples at least twice, if nothing else, that he actually showed himself after he rose from the death. He told them twice beforehand that he was going to die and raise from the dead. In Matthew 17, 22 to 23, he said, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man, so that was Jesus, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will raise to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. But he told them. He told them he was going to do that. So if I tell someone that um, something like that, would they believe in it? I don't know. So I will encourage you today. There are a couple things that you can do. So even though you weren't there to see the tomb or see Jesus raised from the dead, but you today, in your daily life, you can see Jesus. You can see him in all the things around you. I'll give you a few examples. When I think about Jesus, I think every time a baby's born, I see Jesus. Every time a couple celebrates a wedding anniversary, even the 50th wedding anniversary, I see Jesus. I see Jesus when a child is praying. I see Jesus in a bunch of Bible stories if you're listening to all your Bible stories, right? I see someone um, helping others who are in need. I see Jesus. So the more we see those things, the easier it is to believe in Jesus, okay? And there is something wonderful about faith and believing in something, that the Bible says um, that there is so much power in that faith and believing. Matthew 17, 20, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's really, really small, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible. So what I'm asking you today, not to move mountains, that would be a lot of work, but I'm asking you to look in for Jesus working around us, and then it'll be easier to believe in Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are in control, and we just thank you for rising from the dead, giving us an example of something to believe and you pray that you would just give us uh, the ability to look around us and see Jesus in our lives, that we may believe and continue to believe in Jesus. Pray that we would help others believe in Jesus. Pray that we would talk with our children about Jesus and show them Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, Sam and Christy, for doing that. Never seen a science experiment in a kid's message before. That's pretty, uh, it's taking it to the next level, Sam. <laughs> next time I ask you to do that, uh, you'll see like a disappearing act or something. <laughs> Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for joining us in worshiping the Lord on this special day.
It's a special day. I love Easter, and there's, there's a bunch of reasons why I love Easter. One is my wife's famous hot cross buns. Anybody have a hot cross bun yet this morning? No? Hopefully you'll be able to get one of those later. Uh, delicious bun that only happens on Easter. Uh, Angie, I think, helped make them today, uh, this time. So that was good. Uh, Easter represents something. I think there's the, 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 the springness. And so I noticed yesterday in my flower beds, up pop these little, little shoots that are going to turn into flowers soon. Uh, it's, it's been a long winter. There's been a lot of snow, a lot of dark cold nights, and, and Easter is this glimmer of hope, and hope is, is what Easter is about, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about it. Um, would you pray with me as we begin? Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the chance that we have just to be here this morning uh, to, um, to think about you, to, to meditate on uh, the fact that you rose from the grave, that you love us so much that you died for us on the cross and rose again. Uh, Lord, that is, that is a fact that for some of us is hazy. For some of us, it's, it's, it's hard to, to make out. I ask, Lord, that this morning it would become clear, that it would become clear that, that the true fact is that you rose from the grave for us. In your name, amen. I've talked a little bit in here about my grandfather, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about him because he's a pretty cool guy. Um, he uh, is, a, is an old school guy. He was an engineer for GE for many, many years. And on the side, he said, you know what would be fun? Doing 50 acres of corn just for kicks, just for, just for fun, you know? Got a bunch of tractors, got all the equipment, got, pl- planted corn every year, harvested 50 acres of sweet corn by himself on the side during his full-time engineering gig at a um, little place called GE. Um, then he said, you know what would be even more fun is if I raised 20 head of cattle on top of the 50 acres and sold those cattle every year. So I'm buying them as calves, raise them a year on my sweet corn and sell them off. This is who my grandpa was. There was, no, there was nothing that he couldn't tackle. He was intelligent, he was strong, and, and he had a work ethic that put most of us to shame. This interesting thing about my grandfather, though, is my grandmother received Christ in her early 30s. She became a Christian, and she became a devout Christian. She was passionate about the Lord, and she raised my father and and his two sisters in that sense. My grandfather, however, was a man's man, and he didn't need this religious thing. And I can remember growing up, I think I was maybe four or five, one of my most vivid first memories of prayer was actually praying for my grandfather. And I spent all of my childhood, all of my high school years, all of my college years frequently praying for my grandfather. And my grandfather, when you would ask him, do you believe in Jesus or why don't you believe in Jesus? He would say, I don't need it. See, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, and I am not fallen. I am, I'm an intelligent being, and I don't need a Savior. And so we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. i got to tell you, this is just like Easter has a happy ending. This story has a happy ending. One morning, when my grandpa was 92 years old, he shook my grandmother awake at 5 o'clock in the morning. He said, Grammy, he called her Grammy, Grammy, I need your help. I don't think he'd uttered those words before in his life. I need your help. And, and Grandma says, what's, what's the matter? Is something wrong? Did you fall? What, what's going on? He goes, I need your help praying. I realize, I've realized that I need him. And I've never felt that before. And so my grandma leaps out of bed, <laughs> as an 89-year-old can only do, leaps out of bed, 
on her knees with grandpa, and they say the prayer, and grandpa asks Jesus into his heart. An entire lifetime of prayer had gone into that man realizing that he needed Jesus. And it happened at 92 years old. My grandpa went to go be with Jesus at 96, and he's there celebrating right now. It's an amazing story, but it begs the question, and I, and I pose the question to you this morning, what would it take for your faith in Jesus to be increased? This is what Easter is all about. What is getting in the way of your faith in Christ to increase? And that's an interesting question, and I can pose it to everyone in the room, because it doesn't matter if, you've, if you're six years old or if you're 96 years old, if you've been a Christian 30 seconds or you've been a Christian your whole life, or even if you have never yet trusted in Jesus for the first time. What would it take for your faith to increase See, the interesting thing is Jesus wants more than anything for your faith to increase. Whether it's 96 units to 97 units or zero, negative six units to negative two units, he wants it to grow. And that's what this morning is all about. I'm going to read a story to you. Interesting story in the New Testament. And this is about a man that discovered the distance between doubt and faith and what it would take for his faith to become more real. This story is out of the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 20, starting, I'm in the wrong passage, I'm sorry. Oops, I need that note. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. This is after the death on the cross, after the disciples witnessed Jesus breathing his last, saw him taken down from the cross, saw him put into a tomb, and the stone rolled in front of it. All of a sudden, the disciples show up to Thomas, and they say, we've seen him. And you can imagine what he says. They said, we have seen the Lord, but he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Verse 26, a week later, a week, a whole week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Interesting story of going from doubt to faith. Now, the, another interesting part about Thomas is he has been with Jesus. He's one of the 12. He has seen him perform miracles. He's seen him feed the 5,000. He's seen him walk on water. And yet still... He's saying, Jesus is not alive. I saw him die, and I won't believe it 
until you can prove to me that he's alive. If we ask our question to Thomas, hey Thomas, what would it take to increase your faith? What would it take to get your faith to go from Jesus, the miracle working rabbi, to Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God? You know, if we asked Thomas that, he'd tell us. <laughs> I like Thomas. He doesn't beat around the bush. He reminds me of my grandpa. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And he did. Thomas knows what it would take. And he told the disciples, it would take, the, it would take you proving to me. Me touching Jesus in the flesh and me being able to prove that this is the same man that was on the cross that I saw breathe his last. Unless I put my fingers in the nail holes and my hand in his side, I will not believe. My grandpa was the same way. My grandpa didn't need Jesus. If I ask our question to grandpa, for most of his life, he would say, unless you can show me why I need him, I'm not going to believe in him. Prove it to me. The interesting thing about this question is we can ask many people in the New Testament this question. We can ask the question of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. This is fascinating. You ask the question of the teachers and the Pharisees of the law, what would it take for you to believe in this, this Jesus Jesus, this rabbi, the traveling rabbi that has crowds and crowds of people following him, what would it take for him to prove to you that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Not just any Messiah, but the Messiah. What would it take? The interesting thing is after Jesus' resurrection, there are several stories of the teachers of the law and some of the Pharisees that actually believe. Did you know that? Fascinating. Acts 5.34 Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and he actually defends the disciples against an angry crowd and says, wait a minute, he might be on to something. We saw this guy, he had crowds following him, and we put him to death, and the crowds didn't go away. And there's rumors of him actually walking around. Let's be careful. Let's be careful. And Acts 15 mentions individual Pharisees that are acting members of the Pharisaical group and believe in Christ. You know, we, we spend the time reading the Gospels thinking these people are the enemies of Christ and they would never believe. But it's not true. See, they saw something. Some of them saw something. And their faith went from doubt to belief. We can ask Saul this question. Paul, formerly known as Saul, a practicing and zealous Pharisee. He said, hey, 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 Paul, what would it take? What would it take for your faith to go from this to this? And he would tell us. He would tell us what happened. Paul would say, Jesus met me on the road to Emmaus and showed me he was alive. I saw him die. He proved to me he's alive. That's what happened. And Saul became Paul, and he wrote more New Testament books than any other author, and he did amazing things for the church. Here's another interesting one. The brother, half-brother of Jesus, James. We know him as the guy who wrote the book of James. We know him as a pastor in Jerusalem who had the largest church in Jerusalem after Jesus was crucified. Where was he during the Gospels? Where was he during the time that Jesus was walking around on earth? 
How many in you? Uh, how many of you have a brother? Anybody have a brothers? Yeah, yeah. Most of us have brothers. What would it take for that brother to convince you that he's the Messiah, the Son of the Living God? I've got a brother. Probably me trying to convince him is the way our relationship works. What would it take? I can think of only one thing that would prove to me my brother is the son of the living God. As if I saw him die, and then I saw him alive. That might convince me. And that's exactly what happened to James, the half-brother of Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He probably was even involved with Jesus over the period of Jesus' ministry. But something happened, and James believed. And he didn't just believe in his heart. He believed with his actions, and he led a church, and he wrote a book, and then he died for it. Wow. That's amazing. Most of these people did not believe or, or their faith was at least limited during Jesus' life. But a certain event happened that changed their mind. We see that from Scripture. We even see that from history. Something happened. This explosion of the church. This event was the resurrection. This event started with eyewitnesses that watched him die, and their world came apart, and they went, this isn't the guy we thought he was. We thought he was going to overthrow Rome. Remember Rome? Rome's the, 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 the enemy of the Jewish nation, and they've enslaved Israel, and, 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 and all the prophecies point to Jesus overthrowing Rome. And then he dies. That's where the disciples were. That's where the disciples were when Mary discovered that Jesus was alive. And it changed everything. Jesus was dead. He was buried. And three days later, he came out of the grave and was alive. And it changes everything about history. This event changed Thomas. It changed the Pharisees. It changed Paul. It changed James. It changed my grandpa. It changed me. It changed many of you. So often we think of Jesus as this rabbi, this miracle worker that performed miracles, that, that died on a cross. Don't forget what happened three days later because our faith hin is hinged upon it. This is what I want you to know this morning. Doubt turns to hope at the moment that reality is stranger than fiction. This is Thomas saying, I'm sorry, I live in the real world. I believe in science. This can't happen. You can't have someone die and three days later raise from the dead. It doesn't happen. And unless you prove it to me, I'm not going to believe it. Stop getting my hopes up, disciples. I'm not going there. And it took Jesus in the flesh walking up to him and saying, I am he who died. And I'm bigger than some miracle working rabbi. I'm the savior of the world. And you can just imagine Thomas melting. Just like my grandpa that early morning, just melting in a puddle. Doubt turns to hope at the moment that reality is stranger than fiction. Now, why is this so important? It's important we grow our faith. It's important for several reasons. 
it gives us meaning. When your faith goes from X to X plus 1 or X to X plus 20, something happens in you and your life starts to become more meaningful. It doesn't mean your life gets easier. Trust me, I know that. We can prove that. But it gives it more meaning. You start to understand things a little differently when your faith starts to increase. From James, it was my crazy half-brother who might be mentally uh, you know, disabled to this is the savior of the world. James was unsure at a minimum about Jesus. But after this event, it changed everything. It starts to give us purpose. It's like the winter is over for these men and spring is here. Can you imagine going through a winter for 92 years? That's my grandpa. He didn't know it. He just thought that's life. In his 92nd year, spring happened. And the resurrection became real to him. There's meaning and purpose in realizing you were designed to trust God and show his love to those around you. You don't just have to have the knowledge that we are loved. And that's a special thing. To know that we are loved. In light of the resurrection, we have value. We have purpose. We have the reason for our existence. Without the resurrection, we're lost. We don't have a direction. You might be thinking, I want that. (laughs) I want that purpose. I want more meaning in my life. I want more faith in Christ. I got a couple of ways that might invigorate your faith. This is what we need to do, leaving here this morning. The first one is give up the control to him. Because of the resurrection, give up the control that we are all so desperately hanging on to. And Jesus talks about this in his ministry. Having not, not, not worrying, no anxiety, just trusting God with the future doesn't mean we, we take our hands off the wheel and we don't plan or anything like that, but, but it just means we don't have anxiety. You give it up. He's in control. He's in control of your life. That could be a very scary thing, depending on where you are. It could be a very um, stifling thing. But he is in control. Give up the control. Step two, give in to the things of God. We all have these little things in our life. Give in to the things that God wants in your life. Does God want you to reconcile with that estranged family member? Do it. Pick up the phone. Does God want you to submit to your parents? Sorry, kids, I'm going there. Submit. It's what God wants. Does God want you out of that destructive relationship? Do it. Does God want you to care more about those around you than you care about yourself? That's a tough one. Do it. Give in. Give in to the things of God. And then the third one, one of my favorites, give away the greatest gift you've ever received. Give it away. Because of the resurrection, Thomas, Paul, James, my grandfather, and many, many others every day give their experience away for the benefit of the world. 
give it away. Why are these things, giving, it up, giving up, giving in, and giving it away so important? Why did I pick those three things? Giving up control to God and actually trusting Him is inevitable. Do you know that? It's inevitable. According to Paul, remember the guy we talked about earlier, he writes in Philippians 2 that every name, that, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You're going to do it. <laughs> you could do it now or you could do it later. We give up the idea of control and we have less anxiety in our life. Anybody want less anxiety? I do. We give in to what God wants and we start to see his hand moving. We start to see what he wants being carried out and his glory being shown and people understanding that he loves them. And we give it away. We share our experience. No one can take your experience away. We share that experience with those around you. Every now and then arises opportunities to remind us that Jesus is worth trusting. Sunday morning is that opportunity, and, and Easter service is that opportunity, but also is communion. And we get to celebrate, we get to take the Lord's Supper this morning together, and it's a way to remind us that we have hope for the future. Partaking in this, we're saying He came he died, and he rose from the grave, and he did it for us. That's what it means when we take communion. Now, it's not something you must do. But it's something that can remind you of what he's done for you. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know if I want to do this or not. It's okay. If you're not sure, take a moment. If it's too soon for you, maybe your faith is in that negative six category, and, and maybe the service has moved you to negative three, but you're not at, at one yet. It's okay. I get it. Might be too fast, too soon. Take the time to reflect on your hope in Christ and have it grow. And no one's going to judge you if you don't get up. Don't worry. If you haven't ever participated in communion here at Grace, the way we do it is I'm going to read a passage, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to take communion, and then you guys will come up in the middle and take, and we have gluten-free over here if uh, you need that dietary restriction. After you've thought about it for a while, after you've thought about this symbol, let it sink into you before you get up. And maybe you're sitting there going, I don't even know who this Jesus is. I was dragged here by a very uh, excited family member, and I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. You're never going to have a better opportunity to trust Jesus this morning. Let me read to you the words of Paul. Paul says, For I, Paul, received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Listen to this. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. So this is us proclaiming that God, that Jesus died and he rose from the grave and he's coming back for us. That's what this should remind you of. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you spent time here on earth, that you were with us, that you walked among us, that you gave yourself up for our sake and that you beat death for us, that you paid our penalty with your body. You were the sacrificial lamb. And then you freed yourself from death and are seated at the right hand of God. Thank you for that, Lord. And I ask that as we take this communion, that you would press upon us, that you would let it sink deep into our hearts. You are the only thing worth trusting. That you are our Messiah, our Savior, and you've come to reclaim us. Thank you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen.
my strength, my song, the 
I hope you've enjoyed our time at Grace, and I've enjoyed being here with you. Uh, if you are new or newish and want to get plugged in, go check out our website at gracecp.org, or come see me and we can talk. Uh, I'd also like to say this. If you need prayer, if you brought something in with you this morning that you don't know how to deal with, uh, we'll have people up here that would consider it an honor to go before the king with you. Uh, we'd love to pray with you, and I would like to do that too if I can. Uh, so today, this week, give in, give up, and give away the greatest gift, the greatest gift we could ever have. He's risen one more time. He is risen indeed. See you all next week.